On this season, we're not going to be doing long intros anymore. Hopefully at this point you know what this project is about and all of the disclaimers therein. Regardless, you can check out the trailer for Season 3 if you want to hear more rationale for what this season is about. On today's episode, we have Dr. Pierce joining us. Dr. Pierce is a renowned Old Testament scholar. He has taught at a theological seminary for many years. He has a lot of thoughts about gender and the theology of gender and what that all means for Christians who are following Jesus. He actually teaches a class that was once called Theology of Gender and is now called Gendered in Christ. And so really, he has had a lot of thoughts and a lot of time to process and think through what should we as Christians be thinking about these topics and issues. So let's dive on in. Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast today. I'm sitting here with Dr. Pierce, and we're going to be talking about theology of gender. This is actually the first part of a two-part little conversation we're having on theology, gender, and gender roles. Um, So the first part, we're going to be focusing on just kind of a theology of gender. What does the American church maybe teach about gender? Um, What does the Bible teach about gender? And so Dr. Pierce is going to give us a lot of information, a lot of insight, and a lot of perspective. Um, But before we get into that, Dr. Pierce, can you maybe just explain yourself, give us a little bio? Sure, sure. I I was born in Pennsylvania, went to school in Arkansas, so I experienced two different cultures. And in Arkansas, I experienced during the 1960s uh, the racial inequalities and racial biases Mm -hmm. that helped shape my thoughts on social justice. So came to California, went to school at Talbot Theological Seminary. Uh, and pretty much uh, believed in more of a uh, traditional male role model uh, until uh, somewhere in the mid-1980s when I started to consider something else, uh, mm-hmm. consider more of a mutually shared leadership. Um, and, um, and I've been uh, either thinking about researching gender or teaching gender-related classes for about 35 years now. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that's a, that's longer than some of the viewers have been alive. <laughs> so for those who are 20 and they think they figured out gender, um, let's just take a pause and we'll, we'll listen to Dr. Pierce and hear his thoughts because even he, I know he's mentioned, hasn't fully figured it out yet, but obviously he spent a lot of time uh, thinking about it more than us. So uh, yeah, we're talking about theology of gender. Um, and so before we even get into maybe a theology of it, can you just define maybe what gender is? <laughs> um, I know it's a kind of a loaded question, um, but what what is gender? Well, yeah, uh, gender, the idea of gender as being distinct from biological sex is really a phenomenon that's just a little over 100 years old, mm-hmm. maybe not even that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so biological sex uh, speaks more to the question of how we are created uh, physiologically, anatomically, uh, and as a result, we, we are fairly, uh, there's fairly, well, two categories of sexuality, uh, man and woman or male and female. Uh, and then it's a slight overlap with uh, intersex persons or persons mm-hmm. with anomalies that would not make them at least measurably into one of mm-hmm. those two categories, mm-hmm. fit into one of those two categories. Where gender has come to speak more of a person's experience, uh, feelings of attraction, orientation, Mm-hmm. Uh, so that they're saying, I-, I know I was born biologically this way, mm-hmm. but I really feel different. I feel like persons I see who come from the opposite sex, or I feel somewhere in the middle, and mm-hmm. therefore I don't know what to do mm-hmm. with that. Yeah, with that concern. Yeah. So gender and sex are two different things, uh, at least culturally right now. <laughs> we'll yeah. get into whether or not biblically or whatever. Um, but so gender is more of 
maybe what you ascribe to culturally, how you're living out, what you feel like maybe internally that maybe is not expressed maybe externally in your genitalia or in different body parts. Um, but sex is more mm. maybe what's on your birth certificate, kind of biologically. That's more of what the cultural kind of norm is right now. Would that would that be accurate? Yes, I think that's accurate. And I think we uh, the struggle comes when we are looking at the way we live out our sexuality in terms of modern uh, stereotypes, mm-hmm. definitions of male and female. Mm-hmm. And so we, it's not that we don't fix fit our sexuality. It's we don't fit what a male or a female person should be doing or living like yeah. or feeling like, and therefore we question gender. Yeah, yeah. And I want to get into that really badly, but we're yeah. going to do that a little later. Um, so before we get into that, let's maybe lay a foundation for gender biblically. Um, so kind of what does the Bible say about gender? And maybe a specific question with any of that, because that's a big loaded question. <laughs> um, mm. Does does the Bible make a distinction between gender and sex? Uh, no, actually, I don't think it does. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's also where the conundrum comes in our churches today as we try to talk about this. Uh, so at the time of Scripture... Um, it was it was generally clear you were either male or female. You may act differently, but the Bible uses two sets of terms, man and woman, male and female, both the Old and the New Testament, mm-hmm. and they're used interchangeably, virtually synonymously. So the mm-hmm. Bible never addresses questions of transgender or gender orientation or attraction or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So I know someone listening to this might be like, well, that that sounds like bigotry (laughs) or maybe like that doesn't sound very open minded. Um, So maybe how does the Bible talk about gender? Um, Is there a specific context it gives it um, or is it just kind of male, female? That's what it is, because I can imagine, you know, you have I have friends on Facebook who I'm not going to explain their demographic, but everyone has these kind of friends where it's just like I only see two genders or I only Mm -hmm. see these two sexes. So that's it. Sorry, but it's not sorry. So is the Bible saying that in that kind of way, or is it saying something maybe a little different? No, I think we have to be careful uh, in applying the Scripture in an insensitive way to our to our culture today, because mm-hmm. the Bible is speaking to a culture in which they weren't making the fine distinctions we make today. Got and it. so it spoke in terms that they could understand. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if the Bible is speaking today, it would probably make a distinction, comments about this and why they should be viewed separately. So no, I don't think we can say the Bible doesn't talk about gender. It just mixes gender and sex together into one thing. Mm-hmm. Therefore, we should. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. that's a that's a terrible mistake, actually. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, not to compare it to the Trinity, but maybe in the modern era, the Bible is written in the modern era, maybe it used the word Trinity in Scripture to actually describe the Godhead. But it doesn't because that wasn't a term uh, when the Bible was written. So maybe in the same way with sex and gender, even though it uses them interchangeably, it's because that's what the cultural norm was. Not saying that they're uh, advocating for a separation of the two. We'll get into whether or not we think that might be true. But more just like this, they're just using the language of their time to describe <laughs> humanity to the people who are reading it. Absolutely. And, and I constantly am having to sort of Uh, shape and reshape my language so that when I say something about gender, it's communicating to this group of people and Mm -hmm. not the folks I grew up with in the 1950s, 1960s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's get into that. So what, how has the American church maybe treated gender? Uh, Maybe you can give us like a little brief overview for when you kind of started studying it maybe in the 70s. Um, And how has that changed from the 70s until now in, in 2019? Yeah, 
Uh, well, my, my beginning with this was primarily set in the context of egalitarian and complementarian theology. In other words, is there a shared leadership between men and women in marriage in the church, or is there a predominantly male leadership? That's how mm -hmm. I'm using those terms. And, and so in that context, gender wasn't really on the radar of the church mm -hmm. in the sense that we talk about it today. The church was occupied with gender roles, as they called it. Got it. Uh, whereas now we're dealing with different issues relating to gender, mm -hmm. and now I think we have to be much more fine-tuned in our language, more nuanced. Yeah. So what would you say maybe is the the common understanding, let's say in the evangelical Christian world, of what gender is? If you could kind of paint a picture, a broad brushstroke, obviously there's a lot of <laughs> differences and there's more moderate, progressive, conservative views, but maybe what's a broad brushstroke of what is the evangelical view of gender in the church Sure, yeah, and that is that is really the challenge, I think, yeah. because the evangelical view, just to use that phrase, is morphing yeah. as we go along. So mm -hmm. what I might have said three years ago in this conversation will be a little different than what I'll say today mm -hmm. because the language is changing, the church is changing, uh, and so we have a much more finely nuanced understanding of gender in the church today that we didn't have 10 years ago mm -hmm. or even seven years ago. It was much, mm -hmm. much more the uh, very clear male versus female language uh, and ideas of transgender and, um, uh, and uh, gender um, dysphoria were, were really not on the radar of the church 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. Where today, it's much more on the radar. So what does the evangelical church think? Mm -hmm. It's sort of like asking, what would a Jewish person think about a certain theological topic? Mm -hmm. And then you have to define between orthodox and conservative yeah. Yeah. and liberal yeah. or reformed Jews. Yeah. And I think the evangelical church has not quite that broad of a spread, mm -hmm. but it's much broader than most of us mm -hmm. as evangelicals want to admit. Yeah, yeah, no. I think that's helpful because we often think there's just this one coherent, quote unquote, biblical view <laughs> of what gender is, how we should be thinking about it. And almost every subset of, you know, evangelicalism or just Christianity is saying we got we got the biblical right view, like we have the right understanding of what gender is. And so it makes it really hard then to parse out which one is right. Yeah. Um, are these all incompatible with one another? Um, should we split churches over these things? Um, and that's, I think, kind of where we're at in the church right now. It's where gender roles, which we'll get into later, um, specifically with complementarian egalitarianism, but especially in how we're dealing with the like the idea of gender, is I think really splitting churches nowadays. It, it's involved in this, you know, LGBT greater uh, issue and ideologies, but how you think about gender, I feel like, might be one of the biggest hot topic issues right now in the American church and how you land on it is going to determine whether or not someone may come to your church or not, uh, yeah. which yeah. then affects, you know, how churches want to make a stance or some churches don't make a stance at all because they don't want to push anyone away. Um, but yeah, let's, let's dive into the transgender. Um, I don't want to use the word issue because I think that could be mm -hmm. offensive, but the, the, the idea of it, um, the Bible, obviously, I don't think really talks about maybe transgender issues, but what can you say maybe in the Bible that actually maybe can help us um, in approaching this topic? Yeah, and it's, it's, yeah, it doesn't talk about them, which, yeah. which should evoke a great deal of humility, I think, on our part, mm -hmm. rather than being able to say, as you put it, uh, I've got the right answer on yeah. this. Uh, because when the Bible just doesn't address an issue, getting the right answer on that issue uh, or that concern among people um, it has to be much more carefully approached. Mm -hmm. 
and so, so what does the Bible give us about gender? Uh, it really it gives us either uh, references to sexual identity uh, in, in the most basic sense, although the Bible does speak of intersex persons, uh, hmm. usually in the language of eunuchs, yeah. who are, are not able to have children because they are not clearly male or female in a physical way. Uh, and therefore, they are persons who can live faithful to the kingdom of God, even though they're in that intersex area. Um, and so, so that's intersex compared to transgender. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, which so are two I, different things. Maybe they really can, you, are. can you explain that, like parse <clears throat> it out very clearly right now for people who may not understand the difference? Yeah, intersex is I am, I am not biologically male or female. I, I'm in that kind of transitional zone, which adds up to somewhere between 7 and 11% of persons. So a fairly mm. sizable yeah. minority group that have some kind of sexual anomaly in the way they are born. Uh, and, and so with them, I think we have, to, we have to talk about persons like that in a different way than we're talking about persons who say, I am clearly male, but I feel like I should be acting female. Mm-hmm. I experience myself as a woman mm-hmm. instead of as a man. Uh, there, there, there's no physical anomaly. It's just that I don't, I don't like the way I was born because I feel like I'm something different. Mm-hmm. And now what do I do with these persistent and consistent feelings mm-hmm. that I have? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I was listening to a podcast, Preston Sprinkle, we talked about him a little bit earlier, but he was interviewing an intersex woman because um, she now identifies as a woman. Um, and so to give you like an anecdotal story for those who are listening, she was born with <clears throat> female ovaries like inside of her, but then physically she looked more like a male in terms of genitalia. But then um, her chest looked more like a prepubescent woman. Um, and then in her hormones, she had way more, she didn't have enough testosterone to really fit the male category. And in her chromosomes, she was XY, but all of her genes were kind of mixed up in different ways. And so for those listening, it's really complicated then. There's not, it's not like they're just, you know, 90% male, but have maybe 10% some female stuff. Sometimes it's, it's a 50-50 split um, where it's really indistinguishable what uh, gender they are. And some would say, well, no, you have an XY chromosome, so therefore you are a male. But it's, you could use that same marker and say, well, no, she has ovaries, so therefore she's a woman. Mm-hmm. It depends on what identifying object you use. And so it's not simple to just say you are male or female. And so that gets into the, the conversation then. What do we do with our idea of gender when there's 7 to 10% of the population um, or whatever it is that doesn't fit? Like d- literally by no choice of their own. <laughs> it's not... Uh, a choice of castration or a choice of different ways of altering. It's not a hormone injection. They literally, from the womb, just do not fit our societal male-female, you know, binary gender norms. So what do we do with them? Um, and that's that's mm-hmm. kind of the question I think people are probably wondering. Right. And there there it's important to keep sexual uh, sex and gender separated. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I think with persons who fall into that in between, that 10% middle category, you might say, the only word I would have is grace. Yeah. You know, helping them to find God's love and grace in their lives, helping them to find a way to fit into a world. Today, it's actually, it's more complex, but by being more complex, it allows more space for them mm-hmm. in many ways. Mm-hmm. Whereas in, in the older times, 50 years ago, even 100 years ago, there was hardly any place for them except this kind of rigid category of, of eunuchs yeah. who were out there. Yeah, uh, or or other terms that we develop in the modern period that are just come across in a really derogatory way. Yeah. 
So, so I think we need to get away from that, especially as Christians. We need to begin to think of who we are in Christ. Mm-hmm. And that becomes so powerful that it doesn't really matter what your sexuality looks like mm-hmm. in the sense of identifiable male, female, or mm-hmm. intersex. Mm-hmm. So I would keep the three categories up, and I'd say the, the middle one is in some ways maybe the most difficult to live with, but in mm-hmm. a sense the easiest to talk about yeah. because they, they aren't struggling with a clearly identifiable gender. They're mm-hmm. really somewhere in the middle. Mm-hmm. And so, And I would also say in that context of intersex, I, I'm inclined toward the practice of allowing the child to get a little bit older and have yeah. a, uh, a participatory part here in uh, in the decision making, mm-hmm. rather than just make the decision at birth, mm-hmm. un- unless it's necessary for the child's well-being. Yeah. So yeah, with gender and tr- gender transition, gender yeah. transgender, it's it's a different category, mm-hmm. similar mm-hmm. but distinct. Yeah, and we'll get into that <clears throat> in a second. But I think the intersex population, I think, is it's a huge population for Christians, I think, to be pondering critically about because if these people don't fit either gender, like biologically they really don't fit either gender, then culturally what are we supposed to do with them in terms of expectation of how they are to dress, look, whatever? Are they supposed to play with Barbies or toy trucks? Um, and then you get, once they're older, which gender are they allowed to marry? Mm-hmm. Um, we're not going to get into that, <laughs> Dr. Pierce, because I have enough podcasts on that. But I think the the intersex population and thinking critically about them and learning how to love them and, in a sense, kind of accommodate um, our theology or accommodate Scripture to them in a way that actually works and is holy and biblical and good might be a big door for people to, I think, reconsider some of their previous held, held beliefs that were pretty black and white about this is what it means to be a male, this is what it means to be a woman, this is what it means to be married, uh, when it's like this group of no choice of their own, really— has they don't fit in any of those um, pre-held beliefs. And so I think the intersex, if you haven't read about um, the intersex population, you haven't listened to conversations um, with people who are intersex, I recommend you do that um, just because I think it will open up a whole range of possibilities, a whole range of hopefully compassion and grace and understanding and hopefully make you critically think about your pre-held beliefs about what it means to be male and female and how important that even really is um, to be male and female. But let's let's move yeah. to maybe the, the transgender one. Just one comment yeah. there uh, before we do. Uh, Megan DeFranz's book, perhaps you've mentioned that before in a podcast, uh, Sex Differences, is perhaps the best book in the, at the current era uh, on introducing evangelical Christians to the intersex community. Hmm. It's absolute must read, I think, in that yeah. sense. Yeah. Well, I will. I will read it because <laughs> I have it. <laughs> uh, I love new book recommendations. Um, but so let's let's talk about someone who maybe isn't a part of the intersex population. Was born pre- like pretty predominantly male or female in their biological sex. Um, but as they've gotten older, they just don't feel like they fit um, what their body externally kind of shows. Um, and so they, they want to make the choice to maybe transition or just are wrestling through the idea mm. of, man, I look like a man, but I don't feel like a man. I don't act like a man. I've never acted like a man. I've never really felt like a man or I'm a woman and I don't feel like a woman. I've never acted like a woman. How should we as Christians maybe be thinking about this group of the population? Yeah. And, and there it seems that at the very beginning of that discussion, we have to raise the question of gender roles, mm-hmm. uh, stereotypes yeah. uh, in our in our society that uh, presently I, I was born in the 1940s, grew up in the 1950s. And the 1950s was a defining area yes. era rather yes. for stereotypes and gender, the, the good wife on mm-hmm. good housekeeping uh, uh, and the father knows best series and all that. <laughs> uh, and so I think in part... 
the person who is born a man but doesn't feel masculine mm -hmm. uh, is responding to those stereotypes. Mm -hmm. So I'm not um, aggressive and I'm not competitive and I'm not that kind of leader person. Mm -hmm. um, therefore, I must not be a man. It's assuming mm -hmm. that men are all those kind of things. Mm -hmm. Or maybe more importantly, it's not assuming that they are, but that all men are that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, or those yeah. kind of things. Uh, and so we, we tend to not only cast our stereotypes, but then we make them rigid stereotypes and mm -hmm. we try to impose them upon all persons who are sexually men or male. Mm -hmm. And the same thing with women. Yeah. And that's where we come up with the language in evangelicalism today of manhood hmm. and womanhood. Hmm. Uh, it's not about just being man or, man or woman, but manhood is yeah. this kind of lifestyle. So yeah. now I'm growing up, and that applies to me to a certain degree. Um, I, I'm more of a quiet, gentle person who likes arts mm -hmm. and music, mm -hmm. uh, and I like quiet, reflective time. Uh, I can lead, but it's not something I really choose to do. Mm -hmm. um, and so am I not as much of a man? Mm -hmm. And I've come yeah. to discover, well, all men are not that. Yeah. Uh, and and yeah. so I think if we, if we can help to soften those stereotypes, which is part of my passion, uh, then I think we can also come in and say, okay, maybe I don't have to change something to be the kind of man or woman that I am. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Maybe I can just be this kind of woman or this yeah. kind of man. Yeah. No, that's good. Because I think I I would, I think, fit more the gender stereotype of what it means to be a man. Not <laughs> not to toot my horn if that's a good thing or not. Um, but I'm, I'm a little bit stronger. I'm a little bit rougher on the edges. Um, I'm very driven. I'm confident. I choose leadership. I aspire for leadership. Um, I'm sporty. I'm athletic. I like meat. Um, like all the typical macho man, I'm an Enneagram eight, which is just a bunch of anger, um, which is also <laughs> culturally very masculine. Um, but if I sit here today, I wouldn't say you're any less of a man than me. Um, but that's because I think you, we have to think critically about what it, what manhood is and womanhood is. And so maybe before we even get into some of the questions I want to talk about with the transgender um, topic, biblically, is there a manhood and is there a womanhood? Um, do you see that in the Bible? Yeah, and, uh, my short answer is no. <laughs> I don't think it's in Scripture. Yeah. Uh, we see men and women. We see male and female. We see be men being addressed and women being addressed in mm -hmm. separate ways, although mm -hmm. not necessarily exclusive ways, but at least mm -hmm. separate ways. But I cannot find any place in Scripture that says this is what a man should look like. Mm -hmm. or what mm -hmm. a woman should look like by way of their characteristics and mm -hmm. tendencies. I, I once had a conversation with a friend who was rather convinced of, of gender roles, and I asked him, and it was in a public conversation, a debate, and I asked him, can you show me a passage in Scripture? And he said, it's everywhere. And I said, can you show me just one? Mm -hmm. And he said, um, in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, be men, O Corinthians. Mm -hmm. And I thought, Paul's writing to both men and women. Yeah. And so he's telling yeah. the women to be men, to ask masculine? <laughs> no, no, no. I think he's telling the Corinthians to be men and not boys, to grow up. Yeah, to be mature. And so, yeah, yeah, be mature. Yeah, the uh, the masculine, uh, generic masculine was very common at that time, and it was in our own culture until about 100 years ago. Mm -hmm. And it makes sense for Paul to say that because he commonly addresses the Christians as little children. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and so to say be men is maybe not a gender stereotype thing but more of a maturity kind of hey stop 
you know, choosing the milk, but move on to solid food. It, it, that seems more to fit Paul than maybe this idea of a, a gender gender type. Absolutely, and, and he, uh, yeah, he calls us, uh, yeah, all to be strong. And I, I think of the descriptions of the spiritual gifts, the spirits, uh, the descriptions of the fruits of the spirit, mm-hmm. the descriptions of the woman wisdom in Proverbs. Proverbs thirty-one, yeah, include a lot of language that we stereotypically would call masculine language. Mm-hmm. She's a leader. She's a decision maker. Active in the marketplace. Yeah, yeah. Worker in the field. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it it makes us. It makes you question, okay, what is maybe American cultural masculinity, manhood, and womanhood, and what actually is biblical? Because I think a lot of Christians would probably say, when they think of what a man is, leader, confident, strong, and we'll get into the church and the home. Um, we'll get into that in part two of the podcast, um, but maybe just society and characteristics of, a, of an individual. They'd say a man is supposed to be this leader, is supposed to be strong, confident, aggressive, but we'd all say not too aggressive, but like aggressive enough. A woman's supposed to be more nurturing, more caring, um, more motherly, more fatherly. But when I look at the New Testament, it doesn't seem like, other than maybe the first Corinthians, you know, where it says be men, um, depending on how you interpret that, but there doesn't seem to be this distinction in telling the specific genders to be a certain type. Um, other than maybe when you get into the family and the church, and we're going to talk about that, but it always seems to be addressing both, like you were saying, and saying, here are the fruits of the Spirit. All of you need to live this out. Um, all of you need to be patient, kind, loving, uh, have gentleness, joy, respect, all these different things. But there's not ever, specifically, I think, for sure in the New Testament, you can see this like manhood, womanhood. Um, and, and I think Dr. Pierce would agree with me. We're not saying there's not a difference between the two sexes. Like, there's clearly physical differences, and they are not the same. We're not trying to erase maybe gender or erase sex, but maybe to think more critically about what what are these gender stereotypes that we're living with. Um, and so it makes me think of I have a lot of friends who maybe don't fit the masculine mold or a lot of women who don't fit the feminine mold. And they either, one, begin to question, maybe should I transition um, to the other gender so I'd be more you know coherent with how I am and how I feel and how I act. Or, man, I don't really fit into this family of God stuff. I'll never be the ideal. Um, And they almost view themselves as like, if I'm not a grabbing for leadership man, then I'm not as respected and revered as a human being. I'm I'm almost a less than. And I think we go pretty wrong um, when we do that. I think we do too. And and it's not to say, I should also clarify, I agree with you that there are clearly... Mm -hmm gender differences, Mm -hmm. male and female sexual differences. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it's not to say that there aren't some uh, genuine tendencies that Mm -hmm. tend to be more masculine or more feminine. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I'm not completely afraid of that language. Mm -hmm. Uh, But uh, because men have more testosterone, they tend to be more aggressive. Mm -hmm. Get that part. Men have more upper body strength. Yeah. Therefore, they tend to be domineering, mm-hmm. at least in a culture where everything was about physical strength, mm-hmm. especially in the yeah. ancient time. And so that that's there. Women uh, have the capa- capability of uh, giving birth to children and carrying them and nursing them physically. Uh, that's bound to have a psychological impact on those women who get pregnant and have mm-hmm. children. Mm-hmm. So, so I don't think we have to say there's nothing in that area of gender differences. Yeah, yeah. But when we begin to prescribe, because women generally nurse children, therefore may be more nurturing, now you as a woman must be more nurturing. Mm-hmm. And if mm-hmm. you're not, then you're just not acting 
right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's where I think we begin to make something that was good and natural into something that's rigid and, frankly, quite unnatural. Yeah. Well, and even psychologically, when we study the brain, you can see those tendencies um, because hormonally or how the brain is shaped in, in male and females, it's it's different. Mm-hmm. But again, it's not, there's nowhere in scripture that's saying this must. Um, and it's it seems like it's more culturally mandated because I think people look at culture and say, well, no, look, like men just naturally from the wound, if you see little kids playing, they look like they're more the leaders, more dominant type. So like it makes sense then that they should be the leaders today. But it's like, what if we have culturally set up the value of leadership is strength and dominance. <laughs> and so then it fits males being leaders. Um, but what if we go to a different culture where strength and dominance isn't the ideal leadership qualities, but nurture, humility, and compassion? Then therefore, I think we'd be in a culture that there'd be more of a matriarchy. Absolutely. Um, yeah. But I don't think we think critically enough. We just think, oh, since men are strong and domineering naturally because of some testosterone, therefore they must be the ones who are leaders and women must not be the ones who are leaders. And I think it even pushes back against some of the really important emphases in the New Testament about the nature of leadership. Mm -hmm. I think Mm -hmm. the New Testament assumes that men are the leaders, which they were at that time, of course, and therefore speaks in those terms. Uh, But when it talks about what the men should do as leaders, then suddenly we're hearing different things. We hardly ever hear lead and be stronger in your leadership. Mm -hmm. We hear statements about compassion and servanthood Mm -hmm. and kindness and love Mm -hmm. and sacrifice, which Mm -hmm. are not normal things for men to do in leadership. They call for counterintuitive thinking. Yeah. No, I think that's good. So summing that all up, we we would argue there's maybe not the specific masculine, feminine, like feminine must in scriptures where you must be a certain way, um, other than the obviously open statements of Paul where it's kind of to both genders um, in terms of servanthood and loving and different things. So now let's take that, and you can disagree with us, so that's fine, um, but let's, let's work off of that framework at least, because we have to go somewhere. We can't just <laughs> constantly concede points. So let's take that framework and now take it to the modern debate, dilemma, uh, discussions around transgender, um, and specifically, maybe let's start with the children, um, and we can, maybe we can move towards adulthood. So let's say I, I read this article not too long ago. It was all over my Facebook, because conservatives and liberals have a lot of opinions about things, and I post them on Facebook. Um but it was about this uh, father and mother who had a divorce, um, and they were having some custody problems. The mother decided that the young boy was actually a girl and was going to have him have surgery and start like mm-hmm. hormone treatment. He was about 10 years old. And the father was saying, no, he just doesn't like playing with the masculine cultural things. He's not a girl. He's a, he's a boy. And so I don't want to do that right now at this age. There's a big debate um, right now. Um, that's just a one anecdotal story about it, but a big debate on... At what age can kids decide their gender? Um, should they be allowed to have surgery and transition? Should parents sanction that? Um, mm-hmm. And so how should we as Christians be maybe wrestling with that? Um, and how should we be thinking about those those cases? My advice to students, and these are college students who might talk mm-hmm, to me about mm-hmm. this, uh, is to take your time, slow down. This isn't like getting a tattoo. Uh, this is a significant <laughs> yeah. physical enduring change uh, and, and reassignment surgery is not mm-hmm. necessarily a corrective that's going to work mm-hmm. and it just gets more complicated. So more slow down and wait till you've had a chance to at least come to a, a mature point in life when you can make this decision. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
But but I still have to go back in, in each context to say, why do you feel like you're a woman and not a man mm-hmm. or a man and not a woman? Mm-hmm. And it almost always comes back to stereotypes. Mm-hmm. So if we can, especially now, go back to the young child, uh, 10, 12 years old, and who says, I think that I'm a, a woman and not a man, or the parent decides that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Help them to realize that they yeah, playing with the trucks versus dolls is not what determines their gender, mm-hmm. uh, and and to say, let me let me know who you are. So I think in that way, the church needs to embrace the um, some of the changes we're experiencing because we are allowed now to listen to persons who are in what we generally label as the transgender category, mm-hmm. uh, and we're realizing that well, sexuality may have that ten percent center. Gender seems like it spreads about 30% in the, cen- yeah. in the center because it's experientially determined. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so if we can erase the stereotypes and say, okay, what does it mean to live as a godly person? Uh, and your maleness or your femaleness may affect what that looks like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but it's not qualitatively different mm-hmm. between a man or a woman or an intersex person mm-hmm. or a transgender person, uh, what it means to be godly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And if we can do that, I think it helps to alleviate the, the significant uh, dysphoria and the significant stress, angst that comes on children in particular mm-hmm. uh, in the elementary, junior high levels yeah. regarding this. It's yeah. a burden that they shouldn't have to bear at this point quite yeah. so strongly. And I think yeah. we can alleviate a lot of the pain. Yeah. And I think for conservatives, it's it's kind of like I think we want to deconstruct a little bit of they're maybe rigid gender roles saying these gender roles are the godly roles and if you don't fit these then you're not being godly but then maybe for the more progressive side it's like hey you're trying to tear down the gender roles but then are in a sense reinforcing gender roles with some some of the transgender issues i'm not saying all of them um, but with some of them by saying well since i don't fit the masculine stereotypes that i'm secretly or publicly trying to denounce and get rid of but since i don't fit those i'm no longer a woman or i'm no longer a man i should be a woman and it kind of seemed to be this counterproductive if we want to get away from some of these rigid gender stereotypes and gender roles then maybe people can just be who they are um, and we don't have to say no you're not fully a woman because you don't fit these stereotypes or you're not fully a man because you don't have these stereotypes but by switching in some cases you're almost reinforcing maybe the roles because you're saying, since I don't fit mine, I have to go be theirs because I fit that stereotype. Um, and I think we're maybe arguing for maybe just a more, first, just slow down. <laughs> like we all need to slow down on both sides. But it's like, let's think critically about these roles. Um, and is this actually going to make you more secure and content in yourself and who you are? Mm. Um, and if that's true, then maybe we can take steps towards that. But maybe sometimes this isn't the right path towards that obviously with the utmost compassion and understanding and the pain they've probably experienced um, not fitting um, and feeling like their whole life they don't fit in but maybe the the solution is to change our culture and how we interact and how we deem gender and what gender Mm -hmm. is and what we allow kids to play with and what we don't allow them to play them how we allow them to dress and how we allow them to not dress um, rather than moving to a more permanent thing i'm speaking specifically of children Um, adults it's a different Mm -hmm. situation but Instead of permanently changing a, a child's biology before they're fully mature and can make the decision for themselves, why don't you instill in your kid maybe a more nuanced approach to gender where it's, hey, you have masculine genitalia, but you don't fit the masculine culture. That's okay. Like, you can fit the feminine culture, and that's that's fine. Uh, that doesn't mean you're less of a human. 
Um, and especially in Christian circles, I'm not, we're not talking to non-Christians. It's kind of, <laughs> that's a different ball game. Uh, but for Christians, it's kind of like, man, on either side, we need to get out of these gender rigid stereotypes. And I think both with the transgender issue in terms of reassignment can sometimes be reinforcing them without even knowing it. Um, but I, I think that's kind of where we're at. And that's the irony of it, isn't yeah. it? That those who care the most about reinforcing these roles are the most upset with the transgender community, yeah. for example. Yeah. Uh, when in fact it seems, I, I believe you're right. I think they are actually feeding the problem of this gender dysphoria. And I'm using mm-hmm. that. I'm not saying the transgender persons are a problem, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. I'm saying this this sense of dysphoria, of confusion, of trying to figure out when you're in your elementary school whether you're male or female and your gender. Uh, is being caused by the rigid stereotypes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, and, and, and I should add, uh, I know we haven't come to this yet, but I should add here that I'm not in, in any, at any time in this discussion pushing back against the uh, inspiration authority of Scripture. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not suggesting, well, the Bible uh, viewed a, uh, a, a culture or spoke to a culture that had clear masculine-feminine distinctions, mm-hmm. and therefore we should have the same distinctions that the Greco-Roman culture had. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, mm-hmm. or the Jewish-Hebrew culture had, mm-hmm. which was slightly different. Uh, but uh, what the Bible calls us to is identity in Christ. Yeah. And if we can get that, then, then even our, our sexuality becomes so much less important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a good good that kind of point here to stop um, before we go into gender roles and complementary and egalitarian because then we'll really get into how you're interpreting <laughs> scripture, Doctor Pierce, and if whether or not you're you know doing the wrong things. But I think there's a good good kind of spot to stop this part um, and start our next part. So I hope you enjoyed this part. Um, I'm excited for you guys to hear to part two of this. Thank you. We hope that Dr. Pierce's words today encouraged you in your gender identity, reframed how you even view gender and manhood and womanhood, and ultimately made you feel hope for your gender. Also, if you ever have any questions or feedback or topics that you want us to discuss and you want to get a hold of us, we have an email listed in the podcast notes that you can email um, and send us your thoughts. So please go on and do that, um, and we'll hopefully incorporate that into some of the podcasts in the future. And as always, may the God of hope fill you all with joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope.